Welcome to the Dear Katie Podcast. This is Katie Kester. And this is Claire Kaplan. And before we get started, as we always do, we want to remind our listeners that some of the content of this podcast could be difficult to hear or um, kind of highly emotional for some listeners, particularly those who are survivors of trauma. So please don't hesitate to take care of yourselves. You can always put a pause on the podcast or turn it off for a while or walk away from it or talk to someone who can be supportive. Call a hotline, whatever you need. And at the end of the podcast, we will give you a website where you can find some resources if you need it. Now let's hear from another Dear Katie letter writer. This person wrote to me while I was still in college and I was speaking oftentimes at Take Back the Nights. Those were some of the earliest events where people like me were allowed to share their stories and there was a, a platform to do so. So thank goodness for Take Back the Night. So let's hear what she has to say. November 3rd, 1993. Dear Katie, emotions ran very high at the Take Back the Night march the other night, and mine are still running high. I am the victim of rape. Last year, I came to North Carolina State University as a freshman. I am an only child and was very protected growing up. I realize now just how naive I was when I first stepped onto this campus. I met this guy in the first few days after I arrived. He seemed like a really nice guy. He started calling me and we spent several hours on the phone over the next several weeks, as well as spending time together. I felt comfortable around him and I was sure we were becoming good friends. Then, one night, I was upset over a fight with my boyfriend. He invited me over to talk about it. I was the victim of a rape by coercion. A few days later, I found out that he had told several of his friends who were my friends as well that we had had sex and convinced them that I was a whore. I am not the type that sleeps around for the hell of it. I guess he said that to cover his ass in case I said something. (sighs) I was so ashamed of what happened that I didn't even defend myself against his accusations. I'm a victim of attempted rape. I never imagined how hard it would be to deal with something of this nature, but I have learned from experience. There's so much to talk about with this letter, but one of the things I walk away from hearing it again is how many of us are not just assaulted or abused or victimized once, but sometimes more than once. And I I think that for many survivors, that multiple experience chips away at our confidence, our ability to feel as though we can make good choices. And what I hope our listeners, subscribers can walk away from this letter with is that confidence in knowing that we're not determined by our our strength and our confidence is not determined by those who abuse us, no matter whether it happens multiple days by the same person or multiple times by different people. And tonight we are pleased to welcome Maggie. Maggie, tell us more about you and how you come to your microphone. Yeah, um, so I'm a current college senior this year. Um, I'm a collegiate athlete. I've played sports my whole life, and it's pretty much been the most important thing to me. Um, I think that when I think about my identity, I've for a long time I've thought about 
you know, being an athlete, being a being a girl, kind of first and foremost, just being a friend, being an athlete. And um, so I actually just wrapped up my senior season of my sport. So it was pretty kind of crazy that I'm pretty much done. Um, but yeah, that's when I think about myself the most um, college student. So it's been kind of a crazy ride, especially during COVID. But as I'm kind of wrapping it up with my senior year. Lovely. Thank you so much um, for giving that narrative. And I am welcoming you to the podcast because we have tons of survivor athletes in your same shoes. So what brings you, your narrative, your experience to the mic today? What would you like to share? What happened? Yeah. um, So, you know, I think think my experience was kind of, it's been kind of hard to, not hard to come to grips with, but just, I think like a lot of other um, current college students, when you experience something that's um, like the immediate reaction you have right afterwards isn't, isn't even shame. It's not denial or anything. It's just kind of like, I don't really know what just happened. So um, my freshman year in college, you know, I, I came here early for my sport. Um, so I'd been here for a couple weeks already. And then it was kind of the middle of um, my sports season, um, right in the fall. And we were on campus, we were at a party, you know, I was with all my teammates, with all my friends, um, just kind of like a normal time drinking, you know, like most college freshmen do, I'm sure way too much, but that's beside the point. And, um, and I'd been talking to this boy and I kind of knew who he was, not really, and just got really drunk. And then like the next thing I remember is just being in his dorm room and, um, and I didn't have any of my pants on. I didn't have any clothes on. I just definitely remember not um, controlling that, not doing that myself. So, but still being pretty drunk and thinking, um, how do I get out of here? Kind of, but also just like kind of confused, not even scared, but just really confused. And then kind of like rushed out of there really quickly because I kind of came to and um I just left and I went back to my room and I cried because I would just really I was just really confused and um oh my gosh Maggie I'm I hate to cut you off but you've just given us mouthful a headful of your honesty and your narrative but we're going to start with a little bit more about the back step on. I loved you. You were so quick to jump to. I'm already drunk and disabled, right? I I loved that. I kind of liked it because sometimes in our brains, we just go there. We're because what I heard you do, Maggie, is what all of us as survivors do. We go with our, what you just did was like, I defaulted to my personal responsible responsible party. (laughs) Like you just said, here's where I was and didn't 
didn't, yeah, no heart, heart here, heart here, help here, but you were wonderful. But I, I do think what our listeners want to hear from, and you can help us do is the backstory just for like two minutes and then Claire can like talk you through the next, but what if we roll back just for a moment, Maggie, just for a moment. So you're narrate the following. You're in college. Um, invitation to this this space. How did that happen? So I'll I'll talk you through it. I am blank in college. I am a college freshman, and I am an athlete, right? I'm an athlete. Yes. I'm a Division One athlete. A uh, Division Two athlete. Playing a women's sport. Soccer. Playing soccer at my college first year, September, October, November. When what month? Yeah, I was. It was um October. October, and what happens? So I um most weekends we have soccer games, obviously um, in the fall. And um, I was invited by my teammate to a party on Saturday because that's the only day of the week that we could um, go out and drink. I'm, I wasn't 21 yet, but that was the only day of the week we had off was Sunday. So we all looked forward to Saturdays a lot. And was it soccer to soccer or all sport? Kind of all sports. Um, yeah, it's a lot of like, I think, you know, at a lot of schools, athletes hang out with athletes. So um, it's kind of because you have a common connection with playing a sport in college, which can, you know, people, a lot of times people don't want to hear the woes of being a collegiate athlete, but it is really hard. <laughs> yeah. So um, like juniors and seniors kind of invite me and, and the rest of my grade um, on my team to party. And it's usually a pretty collaborative thing with the team. Um, but I think the fact that we're playing a sport, you know, all day and trying to eat, you know, probably not eating enough for how much we're exercising and then binge drinking one day a night and not to, you know, not to just to kind of give a little backstory is kind of, you can get pretty messed up. <laughs> when did you, this person that you, that ended up assaulting you, you don't remember meeting him at the party or do you remember meeting him at the party? I, I had met him before the party, actually. We were kind of mutual acquaintances. Like he was friends with people on my team. Um, and he was on a different sports team too. Actually, some more backstory was that I had kind of been my freshman year. So I'd kind of been talking to a boy who was on his sports team. Um, and I had a crush on him and I really liked him. But when I was, when I showed up to this party, wait, wait, pause, pause, major pause, crush. Sorry, Maggie. I'd love to hear about crushes because so many of us sit there with you. There was the guy I fell for 
his hair flipped to the side, cool shoes. What what was cool about him? Oh gosh, he was so cute. I want to hear everything because some of us we're, we're all hurting and harming and healing. We're all doing all of it, but you know, it's just we have to go there. It's our foibles, our our flaws. We love something dumb. Like I think that I think that back then I wasn't it wasn't even that deep for me, but it was just like, oh, it's a cute boy. Like and he's giving me attention and it's the good attention that like I like. And so And what what I only hear you saying is it's I person, not not sometimes people think it's all about the status. I hear, I think for most of our victims, survivors, it's all about the I pronoun, not the like grandiose persona pronoun. And what I hear from you, Maggie, is the same. I kind of think a lot of times it's all about we we don't care what a lot we're we're not pressing out on Instagram for like the next ten thousand subscribers. It's just like in the moment, and I yeah I kind of hear that it's like going back to the moment. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of the these memories from this time were for me so positive and so formative that. The bad experiences I had, I they didn't outweigh all of the good that I was experiencing. And in a way, that was great. And then in a way, it was probably not great because it was just delaying um, other things. But I think when I'm able to look back on this, this time, I, I can look at it in a positive lens just because, you know of kind of how I dealt with things, but then also because of all of the other, just a cumulative everything that was going on. Let me, let me ask one other um, background question. Um, How you say you moved to it, you were going to a school in another state. How far did you travel from home to go to this school? Um, About, uh, 3,000 miles. <laughs> so from one coast to the other, in other words. Okay. So, so family wasn't nearby? No. Um, no. Did you have much of a social life in high school? Uh, did you have a good one or you just, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. I think I was always really kind of outgoing, not necessarily extroverted, but definitely outgoing and playing sports in high school too gave me it gave me the same kind of sense of community that I I've found in college. So back to the party, um, met, you know, I'd been talking to cute boy. I show up to the party and I saw him leave with another girl and it kind of crushed my heart. It crushed me and I was so upset about it. And it wasn't the deep hurt, but it was just the, the, twang of ah um I think you know always happens with a crush I think we've all you know we've all the little like mini heartbreak not that deep but (laughs) um 
And so that was kind of what set the tone for me that night. And that's a lot of what I remember of that. Um, and then from then I just was like, well, just gonna keep drinking with my friends, I guess. And, and I looked around at one point and I didn't really know where a lot of my friends were, but I wasn't kind of in the state where I could really comprehend that. Yeah. So, um, just kind of kept drinking a lot and, you know, trying to have a good time, but I was a little bummed out probably the whole night. Um, and I actually do remember, um, kind of like foggy, but at one point in the night, just dancing, this boy was dancing, I don't know, with me, kind of next to me, kind of on me. And then we were kissing and I do remember that part. And I was like, you know, it's fine. I'm young. I can kiss random boys if I want to. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then that's kind of when the night takes a shift. How did it start to shift? Do you remember what happened? Yeah. I, so I remember, um, I remember him saying like, do you want to come back to my room? And I was like, I don't remember if I said yes or no, but I remember just being like, okay. Um, but I don't remember getting there. And I don't remember um, anything until the point when I got up and left. But I think it, it was easier to kind of forgive and forget because I could just say we were both drunk and I, and I never thought like that this person was a bad person necessarily. Um, until I heard after this incident happened, um, a similar story with one of my friends with the same person. Yeah. Um, basically just that, and, you know, I won't share too much of my friend's story because it was, it was a lot in confidence, but just kind of that she um, had, you know, basically voluntarily, or, like, was hooking up with this person, I guess you could say. And then something, you know, not so chill happened during it. He's kind of forcing her into things and then kicked her outside um like <laughs> she was really drunk and she was luckily like found by one of her teammates she didn't have her phone um so it was just that's when it was pretty upsetting and I think I think I was able to like kind of I don't know understand not only understand like what happened to me wasn't okay after that, but it's a lot more likely for me to stand up for my friends than I am for myself. That's, that's, you're not alone in that. I think that that's true for a lot of survivors where it either, it, it's hard to, to face what really happened or just don't, don't even realize what happened. And then when you hear a friend's story or similar, another person's story and you think, oh my gosh, so this is more than just me. It's not just about me. This is about that person. 
So how did you feel when you heard her story? I'm like totally the type of person who's like, I don't love, I've had a struggle with men in positions of power my whole life. You know, my dad would tell you that I have always liked (laughs) women teachers more than male teachers. And I would always argue with the male teachers. So I like looking, you know, looking from the outside in, I just, I, I always thought that like, if something happened to like, I would never be the one to call myself a victim because that would make me seem weak. So, um, and I think that that was the case until I realized that things can happen to people I look up to and think are strong and awesome, like my friend, and crappy stuff still happens. From um, So I think that it's just been like, it's been a struggle to kind of deal with those two things at once, like that I can still be a strong person that doesn't deal with men and their BS and not all men in particular, but, um, and still have things happen to me. And many, many strong women have, have had that experience. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of survivor stories, I was just, was never able to relate to at all. Um, because a lot of them, you know, I wasn't like, because in my mind, I drew such a distinct line between what is rape and what is consent. And that in reality, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes in between those two things and not all of it is okay. And some of it might be okay. Um, And okay is, depends on who you're talking to. So, you know, it's all kind of relative and, and it's, it's kind of scary to think about. And, and I think that that's what a lot of people struggle with is when you're going to college, you don't realize that, like, you know, you're having, you're having sex with, with basically strangers. And it's just, it's kind of all a recipe. And a lot, a lot of people don't even have basic sex education and consent education. So um, a lot of it is, uh, it's, there's, it's kind of like, bound to be a shit show. Uh, Yeah, Maggie, I'm so glad you you raised that because I was actually going to ask that very question. Um, Do you, and you kind of answered it, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Do you feel that the information you received between kindergarten and 12th grade, whether it's from your schools, from the community, from your parents, prepared you for the social life of a college student? Oh, God, no. (laughs) God, no. I think that, uh, see, and I come from a place where a lot of the sex education is actually more progressive compared to most of the country. And that's just basic functions of sex. And I figured that out on my own in completely, you know, as most people do and like in a completely fine and consensual way. But um, that doesn't account for like college culture and what happens. And, and I thought that I would be okay figuring it out on my own. 
and in, for the most part, I have been, but that's been at the expense of, of experiencing situations like assault that I would have never called assault because I thought that it was normal or things that are normalized in pop culture, which, you know, you hear a lot and you hear that and it kind of can be tiring, but it's true that a lot of TV, you know, like, and so in large part, I would say no. And probably just in the sense that the education is, is cumulative of, of what you learn in school, what you learn from your friends, what you see on TV. And I think that all of it kind of is in a, in a big sense, preparing women and girls to protect themselves and not be assaulted. Did the two of you sort of form this alliance because you'd had the shared experience with this one perpetrator? I think so. But I think a lot of it was just, it was shared alliance, but we also just didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't want to talk about it. And, and I didn't want to see this person and, and actually they transferred after that year. So I was probably lucky. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have to see that person, but I think a lot, it was just, it's just, it's hard to, especially when you're 18, 19, it's hard to, and you go through something. It's not fair. I didn't think it was fair on me to have to refeel like icky feelings. Yeah. That's hard to do to have to revisit that stuff. So what changed? You're here. You are telling your story on a podcast. What happened between then and now? Well, I mean, like, you know, not, I think a lot of it, it's, it's all baby steps. Like I'm telling my story, but I'm still trying to, I'm not telling it public on a public forum where at my school where people will know who I am. So, you know, I am, but at the same time, I've still, I've still got some boundaries and lines that I am not ready to cross yet. So, but I think, I think it's just all like baby steps and figuring out like what you're comfortable with. And also I think a lot of it has opened my eyes up so much to just that survivors of people. And I don't know, I was never really ready to call myself a survivor, but people who experience things like this are, you know, experience a a lot of different things and it can be from, you know, something like my experience to like a date rape experience to something like a violent experience. And, and it's all, it's all up to the individual to decide what they want to do with it. Um, and before that, I thought, why don't people, I don't know, it's just, it's just all so complicated. And I just had an idea of what I thought was right and wrong for when you experience something like this. And then now I'm just, I, I just kind of realized that it's not on us. It's on them. It's on people to not perpetrate against. It's not the responsibility of the potential victims or the victims to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and people, people can deal with it however they want and who the hell cares. It's up to them. 
But what the only responsibility that any part of society should have, I mean, is to giving victim support, but also to making sure that this stops happening because it's just, and it's just like ingrained in our culture that it's okay. And, and I would probably have rolled my eyes at saying that so many times, but it's true. What other examples, what other things do you see where you feel that it's, our society says it's okay? Clara's question is great, but roll, ask, answer her, and then I'm going to roll it forward because you have been brilliant. And then the next, if you can answer Claire, and I'll ask her to reiterate her question, but I want to carry us out tonight with our, our listeners, our survivors, our alongside healers with you, I think you can give them a couple other things, like how you coped, how you smelled, felt, survived. Like, yeah, let's get there next. Okay. Um, well, going, yeah, going off of Claire's question, um, Oh gosh, Claire, you're gonna have to remind me of the question. I totally That's okay. I was asking you. You were talking about how you know you feel that that um, people think it's okay. You know or this kind of thing. I mean, you know, the, the sort of run of the mill college rave. You know, where it's this kind of thing. But what in your life in college? What else did you see? What did you experience that confirmed to you that? it was okay that that stuff happened. I mean, I still see it and I'm a, I'm a senior now and, and I'm at a party and, you know, a senior at a party and probably like, I'm pretty mellowed out sort of, I guess, from what I would have been. And, and just seeing like boys, you know, grabbing these girls and they're grabbing them in front of me. And, and, like, it's just, that's just what I see in practice every weekend. And I'm always, I'm always going to say something, but I think like, I'm not always going to see something and me and my friends and not even going to a school and, you know, you can go to a school and a quote unquote, you know, progressive liberal place, but you still are going to see this everywhere you go because it just travels across the country and this is all like what I'm seeing in practice and we could go a lot deeper but it's just every weekend it's just something and and it's just accepted and it's it's not acceptable so yeah so back to Katie's question which was in the aftermath how did this impact you how did you deal with it or did you so I didn't have actually have sex after that for a long time decently while and I didn't think anything that it was related for a while until like I'm able to look back on that afterwards and being able to trust people was it was it wasn't like it was never again but just for at least a good chunk of months was something that was really difficult for me um and I, I think I buried a lot of that and, but I felt a lot of shame and I felt 
dirty. Um, and it was a lot of the feelings that I had kind of coping with it by preventing myself from being in situations where I would feel similar ways. Um, probably not consciously, but that's how I was dealing with it then. So did you tell anybody other than your friend who shared this experience? Anybody else know about this? Um, I told my boyfriend I did. I'm, I'm still with him now. I told him, I told him, um, probably like a while, like a, over a year or two after that happened. Um, and he was really like, you know, receptive and just all I could say was, I'm sorry that happened to you, which was totally fine. Do you, do you looking back, do you see how it may have affected you in other ways? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think just confidence is the biggest thing. Like, and I think that going in to, you know, your the fall of your freshman year, not having a lot of confidence anyways, and feeling really, um, feeling like you need to prove yourself, especially as an athlete, um, probably showed in other aspects of my life and feeling like I needed to prove myself and feeling not confident, um, with boys thinking that it was, and, you know, kind of internalizing that it's okay for them to do kind of whatever they want. And then being in a partnership where you feel respected, you feel listened to, you feel confident. That was like, that's kind of what it took for me to, you know, build up the confidence I needed to address what happened to me and address that something had happened to me. What's helping to you? A counselor, a psychiatrist? Like a- um, therapy and um, medication and balancing the two. But I think that that, was, that probably took the biggest toll for me in the end was my mental health. And I don't know if it was directly related to experiencing assault and kind of internalizing it. But I think that a lot of it is just intertwined and when your confidence is down and when you experience something like like that and you don't really have the tools to cope with it other than just finding solace in other ways, then it's going to come back up at some point. You just said something so brilliant, Maggie. I, I really applaud you for saying that. You gave access to all of our listeners to the space to say, like, I need talk and maybe medication. And thank you for going there. And I only have two questions before we conclude. On that front, what would you tell our listeners about talk and medicine tonight? Um, that a lot of times from my experience, one hasn't worked on its own and that it's a lot of work that when you start to talk to someone right away, it's not like it's going to solve everything. I think I went into talk therapy, um, expecting that in the first session they were going to say, 
this is what was wrong with you and this is what happened to you and this is how you're going to fix it and that didn't happen and I was pretty pissed off <laughs> so <laughs> I was like what am I paying this for <laughs> and in reality it's that you have to do a lot of the work but they're guiding you there that's a good that's a good description you're doing you are doing the work the the yes the client is doing the work they just guide but it takes quite a skill to guide properly. It does. It does. And that's why they're necessary because without, without them, I wouldn't know where to go. So they know how to get you. There's not like an end goal. They know how to get you to where you need to go because you know where you need to go inside. That's a good description. I think that's probably helpful for people who have been fearful of going into therapy or have sort of this stereotypical idea of what um, counseling is about. Yes, that's right. It's that's a great description because the a good therapist will not give advice or tell you what to do. They just simply pose the questions and you figure it out on your own. Did you ever tell any members of your family what happened? Um, no, no. And I think that I think in time it'll be okay for me to get there, but I think that's been something. Um, that I've just been, you know, and I think I've told the people that it was really important for me to tell. And I think that that was, you know, my friends and um, my partner. And I think that in time, it's going to be okay for me to be able to tell my family. But I think I've, in part, I've been preserving them because I don't think that they're ready to hear something like that. Um, and I, as we close out and Maggie, huge, huge, huge. When we have to think about the guilt of the birth humans who gave us the embryos and the birth process, our mother, father, whoever they were, what I, I, I think I share with you tonight on that last note. Is it brilliant to say, you know, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> I, I, and I love it. You're, you literally said, like, I don't owe you anything because you birthed me. Maggie, here you hero to that. You were brave enough to say, nope, I don't owe my story to anyone except myself. So celebrate that. <laughs> Claire round us out and I only say Maggie oh my gosh thank you for gracing your presence with the Dear Kitty podcast this has been another week Claire um, share uh, resources with our our listeners sure um, so if you're interested or, or don't know where to, to find information and you do want to start exploring um, what there is out there for you. If you go to takebackthenight.org, there is a, a page of resources uh, that where you can get a good start. Also, we have a legal, um, a legal hotline for survivors also, and that information is on that page. Just remember that we're really not alone. None of us is ever really alone. We may, may not know who those people are who are supporting us, 
but they're out there. And just, you know, remember to walk, walk with pride because you have reason to feel that. And there are people walking alongside you. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, Maggie, for taking this journey with us. This has been a Dear Katie podcast, and please join us again next week. And together we will shatter the silence 100% and definitely keep going for our next journey. So thank you. Onward, upward. Good night.